as a minister, I make it a habit to not know what people in the church give. The treasurer never tells me how much somebody put in the plate. I never ask her uh, how much somebody has given for the year. Because um, I don't want knowledge of that fact to affect what I do as a minister. And I, I don't want people to think that it does. But there was one time that uh, in a previous ministry where I kind of accidentally discovered what someone was giving. We'd had a congregational meeting where it was decided that we would replace the wooden pews that we had in our auditorium with stackable seating. Um, and this was because we had our auditorium, our chapel area, and then we had uh, the classroom space. And whenever we had a fellowship dinner or we wanted some sort of activity where we were all together, we didn't have one space where that could happen. We had to kind of break out into smaller groups in each classroom. But putting in some flexible seating would give us multi-use space in our facility. And so we were excited about this. But at the end of the meeting, there was one particular lady who was not happy and she said to her husband, uh, loud enough that everyone could overhear her, um, that if they do this, they're not going to get another penny from us. In fact, if they do this, we're going to quit coming, and so will all of our family. Now, there were several families in our church that were all related to this woman. Well, we did do it, and Several weeks went by, and yet this lady and her husband kept coming. And, you know, I charitably thought, well, maybe she reconsidered. She had a chance to think about it and realized it would be a good idea. Uh, maybe the rest of her family talked to her and, and prevailed upon her not to go through with her threat. Although the more realistic part of me thinks that um, the reason she didn't leave was because she couldn't convince the rest of her family to go with her. Um, the other thing that I, I thought was interesting, and I only know this because uh, my wife and I sat right behind this couple, but I noticed every week at offering time, um, they continued to put in the blue offering envelope. And so I thought, wow, they're, they're still giving. That's great. Well, sometime later, I was having a conversation with the treasurer, and uh, she was had mentioned that she was surprised they were still coming. And I said, still coming? They're still giving. And she looked at me with this real confused, perplexed look. Giving? What do you mean? I said, well, they put in an offering envelope every single week. I see them. And I could almost see the light bulb turning on above her head. And she says, oh, so that's where the empty envelope comes from. You see, for a few months there, somebody had been putting an empty envelope in the offering every week. This lady had turned offering into a sham. It was all a show. What was meant to be an act of worship had become an act of well, I'll say it, hypocrisy and blasphemy. I mean, I know she was protesting the leadership and she could have done that. She could have quit giving. 
But what she did was she went through this act, this performance to make it look like she was still giving, to put on the appearance that she was giving when she really wasn't. And I kind of wondered, did she ever read the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts? You see, not all was as it seemed. She put on the appearance of performing a spiritual act, but it was a fake. Now, we live in a world of Photoshop, CGI, photo filters, fake news, reality shows that aren't real, and, and carefully curated online personas to to make people think that our lives are something that they're really not. All right, so that picture of our friend that we see online, it's been slimmed down by 20 pounds. The, the skin tone has, has been adjusted, the, the lighting corrected. Um, we know that what we see on the big screen, most of it isn't real, but computer generated. And we fully expect the politician to say what he that he didn't say what his opponent said he said, and what we can watch on YouTube that he said. And even if he did say it, he didn't mean what his opponent says he meant by it. Hopefully you followed all of that. And it isn't just the world around us that's full of, of fakes and phonies, but people are often not what they seem, right? We have ulterior motives, hypocrisy, and, and hidden agendas. And this is just a part of our daily lives. Fakes, frauds, and phonies are a part of life. And sadly, we even find them in the church masquerading as devoted believers. But in reality, it is all pretense, posturing, and posing. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warns us to, to be on guard against being a spiritual fake, of practicing our righteousness for earthly recognition and reward, and, and not doing good works in such a way that brings glory to ourselves rather than glory to God. Our Savior wants us to be people of, of spiritual authenticity. He wants us to not only do the right thing, but he wants us to do it for the right reason and for the right audience. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, with these verses there is a shift in the Sermon on the Mount. For the last 28 verses, Jesus has been talking about true righteousness versus false righteousness. But now he takes that idea in a new direction. We would say this is his second main point supporting his theme. 
it's not just the letter of the law that matters. The spirit of the law is essential. And Jesus shows us that God doesn't just want us to do the right thing, but he wants us to do it for the right reason. We are to be spiritually authentic. What we do on the outside needs to match who we are on the inside. And so this week, I, I want to take a look at this on three different levels. What, why, and who. What, why, and who. What do we do? Why do we do it? And who is our audience? Who are we doing it for? So the first level is what? What we do, right? what we should do, what God wants us to do, what Jesus calls practicing your righteousness. Now, Jesus introduces this whole next section of the sermon in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then over the next, what, 16 verses, he gives us examples of ways which we practice our righteousness. And Jesus wants you and I to pay very careful attention so that we don't do spiritual things. We don't do religious things. We don't do church things so as to impress other people. All right? And this is the theme for the, the next half of the chapter. And Jesus gives us three examples of what he means. Verses 2 through 4, uh, Jesus talks about giving and giving to the needy. Verses 5 through 15 talk about prayer. And verses 16 through 18 talk about fasting. And those three things, giving, praying, and fasting, that's the what. Now, look down through these next several verses and Look at how Jesus refers to these various spiritual activities. In verse 2, when you give to the needy. Verse 5, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. Notice how Jesus just assumes that these are things that we're going to do. These things are just a natural part of our Christian lives. He doesn't issue a command. He doesn't urge us. He doesn't say, Make sure you give to the needy. Don't forget to pray, or it's really important that you fast. He just assumes you're going to do it when you give, when you pray, when you fast. They're just a part of who we are, but at the same time, they're not optional. Jesus doesn't say, if you give, if you pray, or if you fast. These things are just a part of who we are as Christians. But another thing about these three examples is they're not random examples. I think Jesus uses three very specific examples that, that represent three different focuses of all of our spiritual activities, um, all of our righteous acts. Think about this, giving to the needy, that represents our duty to others. Prayer, that represents our duty to God. And then fasting represents our duty to ourselves. There's three directions here. All right, one's focused outwardly, one's focused upwardly, and the other is focused inwardly. And all of our spiritual activities 
are going to be going in one of those three directions, outward, upward, and inward. Now, we have responsibilities in all three of these areas, right? If we want to grow spiritually, we've got to give some attention to all three directions. So any spiritual activity we give in, even if it's not one of these three, still it still applies to one of these three directions. So we can take Jesus' words here and apply it to all of our spiritual lives. But that's the what. And the what is important, but it would be a mistake to put all of the emphasis here on what's the right thing to do, what's the right way, what are the right words. We can't stop there. So that's the mistake the Pharisees made. They focused all their attention on the what, and that's where it ended. But Jesus wants us to look further. He wants us to go deeper, because God wants way more. Or uh, God wants more than just what. How, how do I put this? God, God wants more than just for us to do the right thing. He wants us to go to the next level. He wants us to go from the what to the why. You see, there's what we do, but then there's why we do it. And that's important, too. It's kind of like the mother who can only get her child to behave at the grocery store if she promises to buy him a new toy or candy. Now, the child may behave himself, but ultimately he's not learning to behave himself for the right reason. If all that God wanted of us was for us to do the right thing, the what, you know, God could buy us off like that mother. Well, if you are kind and patient with one another, I will make sure that you stay skinny and healthy. Right? If you tithe 10% each Sunday, I will make sure you get a 10% raise every year. Or if you pray to me every day, I promise to answer at least one daily prayer request in the exact way you imagine it within five minutes of you praying. Now, imagine that. If that were the case, right, we'd all have our calculators at church every Sunday just to make sure we were giving enough. We'd throw a few extra dollars into the plate just to be sure. We'd have holes in our pants because we'd be down on our knees praying every day. We'd be doing the right thing. But would we be doing it for the right reasons? No, not at all. And the truth is there's a lot of wrong reasons for doing the right thing. Now, giving, praying, and fasting, they're not unique to Christianity. It's not just Christians that do these things. Many religious faiths practice these spiritual activities. But one of the things that separates Christianity from all other faiths is the why we do these things. Not for attention or, or notoriety. I once read about a Hindu holy man who was dressed all in tatters, he was covered in ashes. He sat on a prominent street corner doing his meditation and devotion. And, and of course, he always looked the part. And tourists would want to stop and take their picture with him. But before he would let them take the picture, he, he would arrange his tatters just so. 
He would sprinkle on more ashes for dramatic effect. And then he would pose with a proper somber demeanor. So it's not just that we give to the needy or we pray or we fast that's important. It's why we're doing these things. And so in these first four verses, Jesus focuses on why we give, why we help those in need. Now, as Christians, we are just as capable of anyone forgiving for the wrong reasons. Mom was writing in today's Christian woman, and she told about how the Sunday before Christmas, their Sunday school class had a gift exchange. And so she brought her gift, and it was all wrapped up and ready to give. And and then the little girl, her little daughter, blurted out, someone gave this to my mommy, and she didn't want it. (laughs) Kids can be so honest at the worst times. But here's some questions to help you diagnose the why of your giving. And if you answer yes to any of these, that should be a red flag, a warning sign. Do you give to others so that you will be thought of as generous or spiritual? Do you give to others so that they will be indebted to you, be on the hook, they'll owe you something? Are you more likely to give if others know you're giving than if not? If you help someone and no one knows that you help them, do you go out of your way to mention it to others? Well, I gave an anonymous gift. Well, not anymore, you didn't. Do you always make sure that your donations are tax deductible before you give? Do you give publicly when you could have just as easily given privately? Do you give in public, but not in private? Like I said, answering yes to any of those, that should be a red flag. So allow the Holy Spirit to to search your heart with those questions. Now, in these verses in Matthew 6, Jesus is poking, he's, he's prodding and probing why we give, why we help those in need. And there are a lot of wrong reasons we give. Perhaps we give because we feel pressured to give. We've been made to feel guilty, right? We we might give because we have a fear that, that God might zap us, punish us in some way, that we will miss out on future blessings if we don't. But Jesus, he doesn't address any of those wrong reasons for giving. He's concerned here about one specific wrong reason. And that is when we give to be noticed by others. Right? This is giving as good PR. This is helping the needy as a rung on the social ladder. And this sort of giving turns an act of mercy or an act of generosity into an act of vanity. Hey, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at how generous I am. Look at how spiritual I am. And that kind of giving isn't about love. It isn't about generosity or mercy. It's about using people to further our own agenda. So if we're not giving so that other people notice, if they're not our audience in giving, who is our audience? And that brings us to the third level that we're looking at. And that's the who. Who 
is your audience? Who are you giving for? When you give, who are you hoping notices? Well, Jesus says here that we do our good works, not just giving, but all of our good works for an audience of one. Spiritual authenticity means that we practice our righteousness for God's eyes only. He's our audience, no one else. Now, this doesn't mean that, that no one ever sees or knows what we're doing. That's not it. It's just that that's not why we're doing it. Being spiritual for the sake of impressing others is not spiritual at all. John Ertberg once jested, well, I know I'm supposed to be humble, but what if no one notices? If that's our attitude toward giving or any spiritual act, we have missed the point. What others think about what we do is irrelevant. What they think about us because of our good works, that doesn't matter. Those things don't enter into the equation of deciding, do we help somebody out? Do we give or not? It's what God thinks. It's what God sees. That's all that matters. Unfortunately, some people use giving and charity as personal marketing strategy. Mark Twain once said, a man only needs so much money, the rest is for showing off. A few years ago, Ted Turner sold his CNN empire to Time Warner. As a result of the sale, he made several billion dollars in stock profits. So Turner decided to donate a billion dollars to the United Nations. Uh, to help with the poor and the needy and providing food and clothing and shelter. Now, that's a good thing to do, all right? That's a good way to spend money. But Turner didn't just make the donation. First, he called a nationally known talk show host to make a big splash. And then he made a formal announcement in a New York City ballroom filled with celebrities and politicians and just powerful and influential people. And of course... Lots of reporters and correspondents all in their tuxedos and evening gowns. And so soon Ted's generosity was generating lead stories and headlines around the world. Right? That's one way to give. This last summer, a popular TikToker went viral with a video that's been viewed more than 16 million times. Harrison Pollock uh, one of the videos he shows, or one of the kinds of videos he shows, are random acts of kindness. Now, that sounds like a good thing for an influencer to be doing. I mean, what a way to influence people, right? Well, in this video, uh, Harrison is seen given a beautiful bouquet of flowers to an older woman by the name of Marie. He hands her the flowers, asking for her help while he pretends to tie his shoe and once he ties his shoe, he just thanks her, tells her to have a nice day, and he's off, and he leaves the flowers with her. And uh, the caption on the video says, I hope this made her day better. The problem is, is that Marie had no idea that she was on hidden camera. She didn't know that this supposed random act of kindness would be viewed by millions of people. She didn't know that it wasn't random at all, but a carefully calculated act designed to go viral, to generate eyeballs and, and ad revenue and maybe attract high-paying sponsors. 
And when Marie found out the truth behind the act, she said that she felt dehumanized by the experience, that she was just used as clickbait. Right? That's one way to give. In verse 2, Jesus calls this way of giving to be honored by others. And Jesus uses a very interesting word there to describe it. In the original Greek, it's a word that comes from the world of the theater. It's a word that means a performance. It's a spectacle. It's to put on a show. Right? It's not an authentic gesture of the heart. It's just an act to create an impression. And Jesus says that people who make a performance out of their giving, he calls them hypocrites. Now, interestingly enough, that's another word that comes from Greek theater. In Greek, Hippocrates was an actor in a play who, who wore a mask and gave an exaggerated performance for the role. No wonder Jesus calls them a hypocrite. Right? It's not genuine generosity. It's not genuine love, but it's a mask. It's a performance. Well, Jesus wants you and I to give differently. He tells us in verses three and four, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, maybe this expression sounds a bit confusing. Well, your hands don't have brains. They don't know what each other's doing, but, but you know. Well, this was an ancient proverb. It was a figure of speech that just meant to do something spontaneously without calculation or show. All right, and, and the right hand was considered to be the hand of action, right? The primary hand. So sorry to you lefties. But in the course of daily life, there's a lot of mundane, routine, daily things that you do with your hand without thinking about it. You reach for something, you grab for something, you push a button, whatever. And you do it without any forethought, without any consideration or deliberation. Well, giving and helping the needy should just be a routine part of our lives as Christians. We're not to be self-conscious in our giving. We don't have to sit and calculate how generous we want to appear to be. You know, think about, well, how much do I need to give if I'm going to be thought of as spiritual? No. We don't do those calculations. Just do it and forget about it. If we're constantly dwelling in our minds on how much we gave in a spirit of self-congratulation, then our reasons are wrong. And that wrong focus will eventually spill out. Self-consciousness deteriorates into self-righteousness. Now, it doesn't take a big show, a big announcement, or a big effort. Now, we don't need to... We don't make a big deal about the normal things that we simply do. Everybody, I, I want you to know that this morning I successfully made a cup of coffee. Hey, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what I did on the way to work? I made a left turn. Jesus is saying that for Christians to make a show out of their giving, it's kind of like that. We don't blow literal trumpets like the Pharisees did, but we still find ways to toot our own horn. We want our name printed on a 
list of donors. We want a, a brass plaque somewhere on the wall. We want some sort of recognition. We want somebody to, to say thank you. Uh, we want maybe some consideration, some deference paid to us. And if we don't get it, we feel slighted. We're offended, unappreciated. But Jesus says, if that's what we're looking for, that's all we're going to get. Right? That's the only reward. And why would we do good things for earthly rewards, for earthly trinkets, when God promises us heavenly rewards? Why would we do it for people to notice when we might get divine attention? Tim Keller compares it to two guys in a room. Now, they're both given the same assignment. They are to fold papers for 12 hours straight. Now, the first guy, he quits in frustration after only three hours. He says, I can't stand this. This is ridiculous. It's driving me crazy. But the other guy is delighted. He keeps on working. He works for 12 hours straight. In fact, he says, this is the greatest day of my life. This is a joy. So what's the difference? Well, the first guy was offered minimum wage for folding papers. The second guy was promised a million dollars if he folded papers for 12 hours. Right? That's the difference between giving for an earthly reward and giving for a heavenly reward. That's the difference between notice, uh, giving for an earthly audience versus the eyes of God. A Christian philosopher by the name of Aristides, wrote a letter to the Roman emperor Hadrian in the second century defending the Christian faith. Now, this was the era of persecution in the early church. And so uh, Aristides is, is trying to defend Christianity, and he describes Christians and their generosity and their giving. And here's what he says about Christians and giving. He says, every one of them who has anything gives ungrudgingly to the one who has nothing. If they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as over a real brother, for they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know that they are brothers in the spirit and in God. If they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of all of his needs. If possible, they set him free. If anyone among them is poor and comes into want while they themselves have nothing to spare, they fast for two or three days for him. In this way, they can supply any poor man with the food he needs. This, O emperor, is the rule of life of the Christians, and this is their manner of life. Could that same be written about the church today? Could that same be written about the way you give? Thank you, and God bless.